Amen. God bless you. Welcome to everyone tonight. If you're a guest in service with us tonight, we're glad to have you with us. If you're joining us online somewhere, we welcome you as a part of this service tonight as well. And uh, you probably really can't see it, but it's going to make me feel a whole lot better. There's a couple of spots right here and right here. That's tomato sauce from my dinner and a couple right there as well. So if I get down there and you see them, now you know. If you didn't see them, now you can be looking for them. But just makes me self-conscious knowing it's there. And, you know, sometimes when that happens, you're like, I wonder if they know they got... Yes, I know. So here I am. All right. So that's just my pride doing that. So I'm sorry, but makes me feel a little better even though I'm still irritated with myself, because there's actually some on my sleeve as well. But you can't really see that part, just maybe this part. So, praise God. Amen. Again, I'm not in a hurry. I promise by the help of the Lord, I'm not trying to make a habit out of this, just to make a habit out of it. But once again, I want to try to jump in while you are as fresh as possible. I realize many of you have had a long day. You've worked. You've been at work early, so I respect that. But I, uh, I, I really, and I haven't asked anybody else their opinion, so I, this is just me, but I, I really personally feel like I have sensed a little bit of a positive shift in the spirit the last couple of weeks because I think some of us are taking heed to the Word of God and working on some stuff, and it's given God the opportunity to flow in a, in a, in a refreshing, in a new way. So, I want to start with a couple of verses that I started with a couple of weeks ago when we launched into this. I will say again, if you haven't listened or watched the last two Thursday nights, you're a part of this church, I'm asking, encouraging you to do that. Again, I really feel like God is trying to do something in us and that what He does in us is going to have some great results through us. So, Job chapter 42 and verse number 9, Job 42 and 9. This is the last chapter of the book of Job. This is the end of all Job's trial, everything he's been through. The previous couple of verses, God tells Job's friends, you need to go to Job and have him pray for you. And that, that was the requirement God put on them to deal with their issues. And so verse 9, Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite went and did according as the Lord commanded them, the Lord also accepted Job. Notice that. While they were doing what they were told, God was already moving forward, accepting Job. And verse 10, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when, someone say when, when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. The Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Father, thank you for your awesome presence that we have sensed in this place tonight. Thank you for the ministry of your spirit that's already taken place in this service. And now 
I pray, God, that through your word, you would speak to our hearts tonight. Again, tonight, God, I don't want to just simply take up time delivering a sermon, teaching a lesson, but I want to be a conduit through which your spirit can flow, your word can speak. God, I pray that you would help every one of us in this place tonight to be good ground for the seed of your word. Anything in our lives, God, that would be a hindrance to the seed of your word tonight, I pray that you would help us to do our part to prepare our hearts to make it possible for the good seed of your word to get grounded in our hearts and our lives that it might produce. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you, you may be seated. I want to just insert real quick, and I'm going to try to just skim through this for a moment. I know most of you all probably really don't need this, but I I just want to give you a couple of other examples real quick that Job isn't the only situation where somebody's, not only was somebody's salvation dependent on somebody else, but also some things God was doing in them was dependent on them properly participating in what God was doing. The, the first example and uh, the, the rest of them I'm going to give you, there really are some specific words that are said. Uh, I think you could sort of categorize as a prayer that was prayed. This so much is not necessarily a prayer, but I think it exhibits um, this, this principle. In Genesis 50 and verse 15, when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. They're saying, hey, our dad is gone and we are afraid that all of Joseph's good treatment of us was based on the father. And that now that our father is out of the way, Job is, or Joseph is going to make us pay for what we did to him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died. Say, uh, last time I checked, these guys were brothers. But notice what they say. Your father said before he died, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the, of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. I, I want to make the same point I made a couple of weeks ago with regards to Joseph and his friends. There is no argument about the mistreatment. There's no debate about having been mistreated. It's, it's not, nobody's saying, Joseph, listen, it really wasn't that bad. You, you know, it really wasn't, you, you sort of imagine that. That, that's not, that's not what's going on. There is an, an acknowledgement. They did evil to you. They mistreated you. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face and they said, behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. Oh man, that's kind of scary actually at first. But as for you, you thought evil against me, 
But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spake kindly unto them. And I'm feeling it right now, I'm not going to get to skim. Ah. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. I wonder, we know that we, we Job was sold into slavery, or he was, he was sold to the foreigners that took him to Egypt. He was sold into slavery, spent a number of years in slavery, spent a number of years in prison. There were seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine. I think it's, I think if I'm not mistaken, there was probably somewhere around 20 years from the time Joseph's brothers sold him until the time that they were reunited. Now, now remember, while, while he is going through everything he's going through, his brothers and their families are all back home. They're still living life as good as they were living it before and he has been completely ripped from his surroundings, his environment, his world is turned upside down and he lives all of these years alone, separated from his family, separated from the father who he was the favorite son of. I wonder, I, I wonder, I, I, I can't give you book, chapter, and verse for this, but I've often wondered this, and again, as studying and preparing for tonight, I've thought about it a lot as well. I wonder if God knew that if this would have happened one day sooner, if this would have happened a couple of weeks sooner, a couple of months sooner, I wonder if Joseph's response would have been different. Perhaps he would have looked at them and said, you know what, you guys are right. You are in trouble now. The man that I love and respect is out of the way, and now I am going to get vengeance. He said, I, 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 I'm... I am in the place of God. What was he saying there? I think what he was saying was, I have the ability to give you life or to give you death. And he says, what you thought as evil against me, God meant it unto good. Can you, this is off topic, but can you trust God? To allow things in your life that seem evil, but He is ultimately allowing for good. Can you trust Him with that? Yeah, we can trust Him up here in these comfortable brown chairs with the fans gently blowing and everybody's doing fairly okay. But what happens tomorrow morning when all hell breaks loose in your life? Can you then say, Amen, yes sir, Brother Wright, I trust Him. There... If I could use this word, 
their salvation was in the hands of somebody they had greatly done wrong. And God was trusting Joseph to have properly dealt with his stuff. So when the moment came that his brothers were turning to him for help, he would be able to respond to them and say, what you did for evil, God did for good. You got nothing to worry about. I I want you to think for a moment. I wonder who, maybe you don't know. Maybe God hasn't revealed it to you, but I wonder how many people out there tonight, or, or, I wonder how many brothers and sisters sitting in this sanctuary tonight, their blessing is dependent upon your forgiveness. Brother, it's all about me and Jesus. That's not what he told Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. We read it a couple of weeks ago. His answer to them was, not come pray to me. You go to Job and you get Job to pray for you. And I'll hear Job. I wonder how many folks God has entrusted to you and I that we will not choose to hold a grudge and unforgiveness, but we will choose to release them from the, from the obligation of vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. How many of you know that verse? Vengeance is mine, say Kurt. Yeah, we all, most of us know that verse, and then this is what we... God... Uh, vengeance is yours, Lord, but you always need somebody to work through, so I volunteer. Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of his Ethiopian wife. Miriam was smitten with leprosy, and Moses, rather than taking offense... Let me tell you something. You touch somebody's family... You mess with me all you want to. You start criticizing and messing with my family. I can forgive you about what you do to me real quick compared to that. But Moses says, God, don't hold it against them. And her leprosy was healed because of Moses' prayer. The very one she had reached out to come against. Numbers 14, the people were grumbling and complaining and God was going to send pestilence to spike them. But Moses, again, interceded because they weren't just accusing God, they were also accusing Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 9, all throughout chapter chapter 9 of Deuteronomy are several different examples where Moses interceded on behalf of the people, on behalf of those that had accused him, those that had reached out against him. And so rather than holding on to that and stepping back and saying, God, get him. He begged God for mercy. God said, back to chapter 14, God said, I'm going to send a pestilence. That's what the Lord told Moses, I'm about to do. It wasn't, hey, I'm thinking about this, just, you know, 
Moses could have stepped back and said, you know what, God, I'm tired of it too. Go ahead. Be a lot easier. But God was able to trust him with being the intercessor. But to be the intercessor, he also had to be the forgiver. I wonder how many intercessors we got tonight that do really good intercession, but you don't do as well as forgiving. Acts chapter 7, the very end of that chapter is the story of Stephen being stoned to death. And his final words, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. Can you you imagine? You're laying there with people stoning you. You're in the process of dying. And the prayer that you pray is, God, don't hold this against them. And of course, the one that you and I wouldn't have been here without this prayer, Luke 23 and 32 And there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus. Then said Jesus, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Father, forgive them. Well, he was God. He had to do that. No, I think that was the man, Christ Jesus. That was flesh that had to do that. To not hang on to a grudge. To not hang on... to to the fact that he was being mistreated. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Bottom line is whether the person that's mistreated you knows what they're doing or doesn't know what they're doing. The need to let it go and release it and not let it stay around and bother you is essential either way. Well, they ought to know better. I said it to you, I think, the very first night when I started down this path. Just because, or when I, when I ask for forgiveness and He forgives me, He's not approving of what I did and saying it's okay. So when you and I forgive someone, I'm not then saying it's okay. Neither does it work for you and I to say about somebody that has wronged us and we're holding a grudge against them, well, they knew better. When's the last time you sinned that you didn't know better? I asked it again. When's the last time you sinned and you didn't know better? You know what's pretty amazing is probably for just about every excuse you can think of, Why not to forgive? There is an example in the Bible that eliminates your excuse. There's someone that had the same excuse as you did and decided 
to forgive, to let it go. So not only is my salvation dependent upon me releasing some things that I, in my flesh, want to hang on to and I want to get even for, but God is also entrusting the salvation of others. Oh, hallelujah. He is entrusting the salvation of others into your hands. He trusted Joseph that after all you've been through, after everything you've dealt with, that when the moment for vengeance comes, I'm going to trust that in that moment you will choose forgiveness over vengeance. Oh, hallelujah. Well, there was a wonderful flow of worship here tonight. Maybe we ought to just worship a little bit more. So again, I just wanted, that's not really, I just wanted to remind you, if nothing else, Job isn't the only one. There were plenty of others that demonstrated God trusting them with the salvation of others. That even though there was mistreatment, and even though they had been done wrong, that they would be willing to release that. So, so let's, 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 here, here's the thing I really feel directed to tonight. Back to verse number 10 of Job 42, verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity. Somebody say captivity. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. But really, what I want you to focus on is the captivity of Job. Now, we know the children of Israel numerous times were led into captivity. But Job was not led into captivity. Job was not a captive. He wasn't a prisoner. And yet it says that the Lord turned the captivity of Job. I, I want to read a few moments here, and I, I don't really like to read a lot, but uh, when I preach, <laughs> I don't always like to read a lot other times either, but I've learned to discipline myself. So, <laughs> The biblical illustrator says this with regards or, to this captivity. The Lord can soon turn His people's captivity. That's a, that's a hopefully another one for another night. He can do it quickly. Some of you look at how long you've been going through what you've been going through, and you feel like, if I'm ever going to get out of this, it's going to take me as long to get out of it as it took to get here. The Bible says that the Lord turned. He prayed, and God turned. Prayed, and God turned. That is a very remarkable expression, captivity. It does not say God turned his poverty, though Job was reduced to the extremity of poverty. We do not read that the Lord turned his sickness though he was covered with sore boils. A man may be very poor 
and yet not in captivity. His soul may sing among the angels when his body is on a dunghill and dogs are licking his sores. A man may be very sick and yet not be in captivity. He may be roaming the broad fields of covenant mercy, though he cannot rise from his bed. Captivity, listen, listen, listen. This some, there, there's a bunch of folks. I touched on this, I think, last Thursday night. And I, 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 in fact, I, 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 I'm trusting, I'm hoping, I'm believing that God's going to help somebody here tonight. Listen, 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 please. Captivity is bondage of mind. He didn't turn his poverty. He didn't turn his sickness. And just because you have poverty and just because you have sickness does not make you a captive of your circumstances. But the scripture says that it God turned the captivity of Job. Captivity is bondage of mind. The iron entering into the soul. I suspect that Job, under the severe mental trial which attended his bodily pains, was as to his spirit like a man bound, hand and foot and fettered. I mean that together with the trouble and trial to which he was subjected, he had lost somewhat the presence of God. He could only follow, or excuse me, much of his joy and comfort had departed. The peace of his mind had gone. He could only follow the occupation of a captive, that is, to be oppressed, to weep, to claim compassion, and to pour out a dolorous complaint. Poor Job. He is less to be pitied for his bereavements, poverty, and sickness than for his loss of that candle of the Lord which once shone about his head. And if you're not familiar with the book of Job, that's a statement Job makes. I wish that I was back there when the candle of the Lord, when the presence of the Lord was with me. Touch a man in his bone and in his flesh, and yet he may exult. What did Job say at first when everything caved in on him? What was his first response? He fell down and he worshipped. And he said, the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. That was at the beginning, but something changed. It was captivity that took over. When it first happened, he was able to turn his eyes, his attention to the Lord. But then he got to looking at his circumstances. Touch a man in his bone and in his flesh and he may exult, but touch him in his mind. Let the finger of God be laid upon his spirit. And then indeed, he is in captivity. Gandhi said, you can chain me, you can torture me, you can even destroy this body, but you will never imprison my mind. I teach, preach, talk, whatever it is, 
to a bunch of people tonight, as I said, I think last Thursday night, men and women, that you are constantly in a battle of your mind because you are, it is, you are affected by the circumstances that are going on around you. And as natural human beings, that is totally normal and acceptable. But as children of God, we should not be continuously under battles, under captivity in our mind because of the circumstances in our lives. Oh, hallelujah. And so when he prayed for his friends, the Lord turned his captivity. The Lord gave peace to his mind. Said it a couple of weeks ago, I think it was on a Thursday night when I talked about it. I, I find a perfect example of this again, or maybe it was one of the nights, I, maybe it was preaching recently, I don't remember. But walking into Sister Teresa Neiser's hospital room as she's laying on that bed. She may have been very sick in body. She may have been in a very bad situation, but she was not in captivity. She was not in captivity. She was full of faith. She had a mind that said, I'm getting out of here. She ended up dying in faith, but she had faith. She did not become captive of her circumstances. Too many of us are living as captives of our circumstances. It's not just the poverty. It's not just the sickness. But we have become a captive in our minds of our circumstances. Oh, hallelujah. Do we need to dismiss and go home? Well, three of you were encouraging. The rest of you are mad or you're listening. You're listening. So... Well, Brother Wright, what does this have to do with, 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 with forgiveness and all that? I'll tell you what it has to do, as I ended with last week. I believe it has to do with we are allowing openings for the enemy to mess with something he has no right to mess with, except we are providing him access. John chapter 14 and verse number 30. Most of you have heard this verse before. Jesus says, Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh. And I think the key is in the rest of this verse. And hath nothing in me. The Amplified says it this way, I will not talk with you much more, for the prince, evil genius, ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. He has nothing in common with me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him, and he has no power over me. God is not the author of confusion. Sorry, baby moment. Hey, man, what's up? He's a lot cuter than the rest of y'all, so. God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Not all fear, just fear. 
God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, of power, of a sound mind. So if there are battles going on in my mind, I can check off one thing, it's not God. If there's confusion, if there's fear, if there's doubt, if there's torment, if there's unbelief, if there's all kinds of negative things going on in my mind, it is not originating from God because God is not the author of it. And so I guess maybe sometimes it can just be the flesh, but more often than not, we have an enemy that plays with our minds. I know I'm not the only one here that's ever done this. I know. And I finally have made up my mind. If I, if I feel some kind of sickness or if I feel like there's something I'm noticing wrong in my body, I've made up my mind. I will not go to Google. My wife, and I credit her greatly for this, last year before they gave me any idea what was going on with me, made up her mind she was not going to Google. Because I promise you, you go to Google with a symptom, and by the time you get done with reading, you are going to absolutely be 100% certain you need to go get your life insurance in order, you need to start saying your goodbyes, it's over, it's done with. I did it a couple of years ago. I, 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 I discovered something I was dealing with and I went and I sat down. I got on the computer. You know, I'm going to check this out. And next thing I know, I'm like, Oh my God. Got that symptom. I got that symptom. I got that symptom. So I've got that. And it was such a, it was such a bad thing. I didn't want to tell my wife. So I didn't. I worked on making a doctor's, but I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm telling you a true story. This isn't an email forward. I'm repeating. This is me. <laughs> Made an appointment. Finally, something was going on, and I kind of snapped at her, and she's like, so I'm like, listen, I'm sorry. You don't know this, but <laughs> only to go through all the process of the doctor and some tests to find out no problems, you're good. You mean I wasted the last three or four weeks in torment? Where? They're the same sounds, most of the sounds you hear in the middle of the night happen all day long in your house. All day long. And you never notice them because it's in the light. But you lay down in the middle of the night and you hear the same noise in the middle of the night you heard in the middle of the day and you are absolutely certain that serial killer they've had trouble catching is in the house. It's This is it. How am I getting my wife and kids out of here? I'm going to sacrifice my life, but I, I got to get them out of here. That's what I really love. I'm a deep sleeper. I'm a, thank God, I'm a deep sleeper. Some of y'all have the curse of being such a light sleeper. I feel sorry for you. I'm a deep sleeper. 
middle of the night. Huh? Here's the question. Did you hear that? All right, listen. You just woke me up from a dead sleep. What do you think the answer to that question is? Since I didn't hear it, I have no idea what I'm going to look for, so I'm going back to sleep. You go find out. Right. Yeah, how well that worked. Did you hear it? No. Nothing else has to be said. It's all understood from there. You are now to get out of the bed totally defenseless and walk through the house prepared to confront an armed intruder because you're the husband and that's your job. (laughs) All in the mind. God's desire is a sound mind. I, I, I was dealing with something recently. You've, you, you've heard me, some, most of you have heard me say this. I, and whenever I sit down and talk with people one-on-one, the world calls that counseling. We don't call it counseling because we're not licensed counselors. We get in trouble. So when I sit down to converse with people one-on-one about their problems... My goal, my desire is, what is the root of your problem? And most of the time, what you hear in the beginning is all the symptoms. You get a husband and wife in there, and boy, they can just start going 90 miles an hour. And it's all kind of, you know, legitimate issues, but it's, no, that's... Symptom, symptom, symptom. Not sure what the root is, but symptom. And the problem is we can get focused on the symptoms, deal with the symptoms, all leave feeling better for a couple of days. And then the problem is when all you've done is prune the branches on the tree, you are actually contributing to it growing back healthier than it was And so three weeks later, you're now sitting in the office having to sit between them because they're about ready to kill each other. Because all you did was deal with the symptoms. You never got to the root. The amazing thing is when you can get to the root and deal with the root, the symptoms go away. Amazing. I'm talking to some folks tonight. That's right. Go away. I'm talking to some folks tonight that you are getting so tired and weary of dealing with symptoms. But you're also not quite sure you're ready to confront the root. Because that might mean you got to pray for somebody. That might mean you've got to be entrusted with someone's salvation. And rather than accept an opportunity for vengeance, you've got to give forgiveness. He has nothing that belongs to him. Calvin's commentary says, yet I think that these words have a wider meaning than that in which they are usually explained for the ordinary interpretation is, Satan hath hath found nothing in Christ, for there is nothing 
in Him that deserves death because He is pure from every stain of sin. Matthew Henry says this, There was no guilt in Christ to give authority to the prince of this world and his terrors. The devil is said to have the power of death. The Jews called him the angel of death as an executioner. Now Christ, having done no evil, Satan had no legal power against him. And therefore, though he prevailed to crucify him, he could not prevail to terrify him. Wow, that was good. Even though he prevailed to crucify him, he could not terrify him. Though he hurried him to death, yet not to despair. When Satan comes to disquiet us, he has something in us to perplex us with. Oh, somebody just got an answer if you would receive it. When Satan comes to disquiet us, he has something in us to perplex us with. For we have all sinned, but when he would disturb Christ, he found no occasion against him. How many of you are like me and you enjoy aggravating people? A couple of honest folks. A couple of you don't have your hands up. You're lying. I know a bunch of you are. You're, you're telling you're sweet, kind people. But some of us have a problem. We were born with it, I think. I enjoy picking. I enjoy it. Especially with my kids. I, here we go again, Nathaniel, I think you might want to stop sitting here and make one of your siblings sit here. I, I've got this thing, I, I don't do it quite as much because I'm starting to think it might be a little more of a problem than, than I think. So, But Nathaniel will ride in the car with me and he'll have his hand on the console and I'll just kind of reach over and just kind of rub his arm a little bit. He'll pull it away. I'll just kind of reach over a little farther. You see, I have found something in him. I have found something in him. I've tried to teach my kids, especially with certain siblings, if you would ignore them, they would stop. And they would. Because it's the reaction that you're giving me that causes me to thirst for more. If you ignore me and do nothing, that's no fun. The prince of this world comes... And he has nothing in me. Can I say it this way in the context of tonight? He has nothing that gives him a right to have access to me. 
And so we've all checked off sin. Well, I haven't, I didn't, I didn't commit adultery today. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't stolen anything. I've prayed. I've done all this. So I don't know what he's got in me. I know I'll tell you what he's got in you. He's got some stuff that you're holding on to that you're not willing to let go. And so he's finding something in you because unforgiveness that you're carrying in you gives him just as much access As any other sin does. Oh, because it is sin. Amen, Brother Bart. Oh, Jesus. He has nothing that gives him a right to access. He has nothing that gives him a right to this. Because there's nothing... In me. Isaiah 26. Verse 3. Thou. Wilt keep him. In perfect. Peace. Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Maybe we ought to go back to that old one every now and then. Well, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. How about that one verse we sing? Well, the devil doesn't like it because my mind is stayed. Why does the devil not like it when my mind is stayed on Jesus? Because when my mind is stayed on Jesus, he has promised, I will keep you in perfect peace. You know what? This is, this is one of those things that Bishop probably could do a, do, do a better job of explaining than I can. But, but guess what? That word perfect is actually not perfect. The word perfect and the word peace are both the same Hebrew word. So really what it says is, Thou wilt keep him in peace, peace, whose mind is stayed on him. Listen, listen, to, what, listen to what a couple of these words mean. The word keep will keep him in perfect peace. The word keep means to guard to watch, to watch over, to keep, to preserve, to guard from dangers, to be blocked. Do me a favor, put that verse back up there for a minute, if you would, please. Thou. Who's the thou? Hello? Anybody in this section know? Who's the thou? Anybody awake over here? Who's the thou? Thou. Who's doing the keeping? Oh, hallelujah. Thou will keep him. That's us. So he is going to guard, to watch, to keep, to preserve. It means to be blockaded 
So rather than me having to sit and go, no, no, not gonna, not that thought, not that thought, not that thought. No, I'm not gonna think about that. I don't have to do that. I keep my mind stayed on Him, and now He becomes the guard for my mind. And He says, nope, can't get in. Nope, you're not allowed. Nope, you don't belong here. Get away. Get back. You can't enter in because there is nothing in Him that gives you access to Him. So I am going to become the guard for Him. Oh, hallelujah. I, I I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of the battle up here. I'm trying to find the solution because I'm tired of living every day responding to my circumstances. Things are going well. God's good. Everything's all right. But you let something start going wrong. And all of a sudden, the mind just goes crazy. I don't have to be a captive of my circumstances. But if I'm not going to be a captive of my circumstance, I've got to eliminate all access to my mind. Keep. You will keep Him. The word peace means completeness, soundness, welfare. It means quiet. It means tranquility. It means contentment. The root word, listen to this, the root word means to be safe in mind. I, I, I'm, I'm te- I, I, uh, talking, teaching, hopefully the Holy Ghost is talking to, there's folks in this place tonight that if you would be honest about the circumstances in your life, you would have to say, my life's pretty good. Uh, not everybody, not everybody. I'm, I, hear, hear me out. There's some folks in here. Not you, you may got some aches and pains in your body, but you're not diagnosed with cancer. And 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 your husband may act like an idiot sometimes, but most days he's he's all right. Of course, we know you're perfect, but you know, kid, kids, kids may lose their mind every couple of days, but overall, good kids and. May not be the job you want, may not be making as much money as you want, but God's faithful to His Word and He's provided. And yet you're battling depression, you're battling anxiety, you're battling fear. That it's not, you don't even need bad circumstances. You've got enough going on up here. I'm not talking to anybody tonight. I, I'm, I, know, I'm, I tell you sometimes I'm not fishing. I'm fishing, okay? I'm going to be honest. I'm fishing. Soundness, welfare, to be safe in mind, to be in a covenant of peace. Wow. To be in a covenant. That means when I enter into a covenant with God, God's the one that can do it. And when I get in a covenant with Him, He makes the guarantee, I'm going to do this. I got this. It means to cause to be at peace, to leave in peace, to to be complete, to be sound. To be uninjured, to make safe, to make whole or good, to restore, to make compensation. You will keep him in this condition. Anybody tonight would like to live in that condition? (laughs) You will keep him in this condition whose mind is stayed on you. 
Perfect peace, Barnes note says. In the margin it says, peace, peace. The repetition of the word denoting as is usual in Hebrew emphasis and here evidently meaning undisturbed perfect peace. That is the, that is the mind that has confidence in God shall not be agitated by the trials to which it shall be subject. By persecution, poverty, sickness, want, or bereavement. The inhabitants of Judea had been born to a far distant land. They had been subjected to reproaches and scorn, had been stripped of their, of their property and honor, and had been reduced to the condition of prisoners and captives. Yet their confidence in God had not been shaken. They still trusted Him, still believed that He could, that He could and would deliver them. Their mind was therefore kept in entire peace. So it was with the Redeemer when he was persecuted and maligned. And so it is, so it has been with tens of thousands of the confessors and martyrs and of the persecuted and afflicted people of God who have been enabled to commit their cause to him. And amidst the storms of persecution and even in the prison and at the stake have been kept in perfect peace. Listen to the word mind. In the New Testament, when you find the word mind, such as in Romans 12, we are, we are, be you transformed by the renewing of your minds. It's got to do with more your internal workings, heart, mind, will, all those various components. Listen to the word mind here. The word mind here means a form a framing, a purpose, a framework. It, this is this part of the definition of the word mind. Pottery. Purpose, imagination. I will keep the formation of what's going on in your mind in peace when it stayed on me. Go back to my practical, silly example. When you wake up and you hear the noise, rather than what is formed being fear and worry and terror, I am going to form something else. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The name of the Lord is a a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard again. That's the kind of things I need formed. When I'm looking at this, I need something different formed here. Hebrews says the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Preached it a couple Sunday mornings ago in Arnold. You and I need to frame our world. Instead of letting the devil frame our world with fear and doubt and torment, we need to frame our world. How do I do that, Brother Wright? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. My God shall supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory. 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am a very present help in the time. That's how I frame my world. Rather than giving place to the enemy to frame my mind and what goes on in my mind. If I can keep him out, then I can let God guard my mind and give me thoughts of peace. No, maybe, maybe the peace is not that the situation you're in, God's going to fix that situation like you want it, but the peace is God has got it. And like Job said, when he's done, not going to be destroyed, not going to be abandoned or forsaken, but I'm going to come forth as gold. The word stayed. The word stayed means to lean, to lay, to rest, to support, to put, to uphold, to lean upon, to support, to support or brace oneself, to sustain, to refresh, to revive. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind leans. You know what I can do right now? I can lean on this pulpit. And I trust that it has the strength to hold me up. So if I no longer have the strength to stand, if I can just lean, That's not going anywhere. Mm. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Can I say it like this? On Christ, the solid rock, I lean. All of the ground is sinking sand. So if I can get my mind stayed leaning on Him, then there's no room for all the other junk. And if the, if He has nothing in me, He has no right to get in here. Not only sin, and as Bar, Brother Barr said, it is sin, so I really shouldn't separate it, but for the sake of clarity. Not only the sins you've committed, but when you hang on to grudges, when you have unforgiveness, you give Him something in you. You give Him something in you. You give place to Him. You give access. To him. When Job prayed for his friends, God turned. God released. Can I say it this way? God set Job's mind free. Because really, I, I think the thing that explains that captivity, Brother Benner, you've been reading about it. I think what explained that captivity, Job, when he was all, sometimes you think you need friends. You don't need friends. 
Because when it was just Job and God, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It was when his friends showed up and started talking that his mind started going crazy. Because they start pointing fingers and accusing and all of this stuff. And so by the time they get done, and then Job wants to respond and justify himself. By the time all that's done, his mind is now captive. But then when he prayed for the very ones that caused or contributed to his captivity, when he prayed for them, God, for them, God released him from his captivity. Oh, Jesus. Turn. Brother Wright, what, what am I supposed to pray for him? Well, not evil. <laughs> oh, I'll pray. You want me to pray? For, I'll pray. Get them, God. <sighs> That's right, yeah. Fire and brimstone, rain it down. Just like you consume that altar with Elisha, God, or Elijah. Consume them, God. Get them, God. Yeah, oh, God. No, 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 no. No, no. Give them, give them nightmares, God. Don't let them be able to sleep because what they did to me. Give them nightmares, God. Give them. Of course, some of you just you just lay in that bed. God, don't let her sleep. I'm using you're using me. She don't if I can't sleep or if he can't sleep, I don't. I'm gonna say it. I said it to you last week. I'm gonna say it again. Some of you, your your primary issue is a spouse. Brother, it's, just, it's not really anything that major. No, you just, you're, you're so unhappy. You're so critical. No, maybe not outwardly. Maybe not expressing it to them, but you constantly. One of the toughest things I've had to come to grips with in the last couple of years is there's a bunch of stuff I've been looking at my wife pointing at her thinking, you need to change. But all of a sudden I realized, maybe if I'd change. Especially for us husbands dealing with the weaker vessel. Uh, surely we ain't got no feminists in here that I got to get all up in that. Turn. Turn. I, I am, I'm, I'm said it. There's several folks here that have heard me in different contexts than this, but I'll say it because it's, it's an underlying principle. It's an underlying passion of mine right now. I am so tired of quick fixes or trying to find quick fixes. Or let me say it this way, I'm tired of spiritual Advil. Spiritual Tylenol. Let's deaden the pain for a little while. Let's dull the, let's dull the aches. My back hurts. If I can pop enough Advil, the pain will go away and I'll feel all right. Until... I wonder if sometimes what we come to church and get is a prescription. We get in the presence of God, we feel better in the presence of God, but all we did was get some over-the-counter drugs that do not deal with the problem. One of the most miserable phases of my uh, that, that I've been through in my life was a couple of years ago. Some of you have 
heard me talk about this before, but I, I lived about 20 plus years on uh, uh, sinus spray. The last several years prior to getting sur- surgery, I was, I was literally three or four times a day, waking up two and three times a night. You're supposed to do like two squirts each nostril, like once a day. I was doing that that many times a day, three and four squirts in each side of my sinuses. And I was using Vicks because Vicks had a little burn to it. I don't know, something about that burn just kind of told me it's working. <laughs> when I went to the doctor and finally agreed to pursuing surgery to get some help for that, one of the first things that happened was I had to give up that stuff. And then I had to start doing those sinus rinses. Let me tell you something. For a guy that doesn't swim, and the only time my head goes underwater is in the shower, you're going to start squirting a bottle of water up your nose voluntarily. That don't work real well. And I spent weeks and weeks and weeks not able to breathe and miserable, trouble sleeping, and then go get surgery. Only to wake up, that's my third surgery. My first two surgeries, I came out of anesthesia okay. That third surgery, I was having trouble coming out of anesthesia. They were, my wife was sitting there shaking me, trying to get my attention. I'm assuming the reason was, because when I went to wake up and try to breathe, when you got your nose plugged with stuff up in it, and you can't breathe through it, and you're just waking up from being somewhere you don't even know where you were, it's a little bit panicking feeling. And then you sit there for a couple of days, sit there in a recliner. I know some of y'all been through this. I know some of y'all had the same story. You sit there in a recliner trying to sleep, sucking on lollipops, because all you can do is breathe through your mouth, and your mouth's constantly drying out. So then you suck on lollipops, then you start getting mouth sores because all the sugar in the lollipops, so you can't breathe, and your mouth hurts. Why did I do this? Where's the nose drops? They worked! I mean, I was to the point, literally, I was to the point, I had a bottle in my bed, in my nightstand, a bottle in my office, and a bottle in my car, but they worked. And now, why am I doing this? I'll tell you why I'm doing this, because now, a couple of years later, went to the doctor. I really shouldn't tell this part, but you just, you got to feel my pain. Some of y'all got that gauze. I think, Sister Kim, I think you had that. Some of y'all got gauze, and you, I've heard your story. They go and they pull it. They're like, pull it for five minutes, and it's just still coming out. That kind of sounds bad, but I'm not sure I might take yours over mine. They put some kind of goopy stuff in my nose that hardened. And when he yanked it out, the doctor, literally the doctor said, well, I guess this gave you a wax job. And that's supposed to be funny? After all I've been through the last couple of days, that's funny? <laughs> but after 20 plus years, I got to the root. You know what I experience now, Sister Gross, that I didn't experience for 20 years? I experience colds. Before God, I didn't know what a cold was. I was always on medicine. It it didn't have a chance. (laughs) You can't stop up what's already constantly being cleared out. My wife said to me about a year or two after surgery, she's like, you get colds now, don't you? (laughs) Yeah. Where's the stuff? 
Let me get back to dealing with the symptom. Because when I deal with the symptom, I get a little bit of relief. The problem is, those first couple of years, all it took was two squirts once a day and I was good. Then it took morning and night. Then it took morning and night and night. And it took morning and night and night and night. And then it took morning and morning and night and night and night. And yeah. The problem is every time all you do is deal with the symptom, the more medication it takes to get help with the symptom. And all along, God's going, I need you to release some things. You're holding some people captive. That not only am I depending on you for their salvation, but I also need you to release them so I can now release you. Your release, your deliverance is dependent upon your releasing of them. I believe, I know know I've been going a while and we still got a couple minutes, but I just believe that right now, not on an emotion, not on an emotion, it may be here, it may not be here, but I believe that somebody in this place right now, if you would release some things, when you walk out of this place, if you'd get your mind stayed on him, you'd wake up tomorrow and it would be a new day, not because of circumstances changing, not because of your surroundings changing, but because God steps in and says, you now have no access here. You now have nothing of ownership here. It's now leaning on me. And so I'm going to do my part and I'm going to start guarding this mind so that it is in perfect peace. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? If God's not talking to you, that's fine. But I believe there's somebody, even if it's one person in this place tonight, that the Holy Ghost, I know we, we think of deliverance on a Sunday night. We get our deliverance in the hype of a Sunday night. But there's some folks here tonight, your deliverance is not in the laying on of hands and somebody speaking deliverance. Your deliverance is in you releasing some things so that God can then release some things. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Some of you need to start doing what Job did. I didn't finish the point a few minutes ago. I got distracted. Some of you need to start doing what Job did. You need to start praying for some folks. Not praying that God would give you vengeance in their lives. Not praying that God would get you even with them. But God bless them. God help them. God give them, give them eyes to see God. God, I pray that you would help them. Help them. I'm not asking you to bless them in their circumstances and ignore what's going on. But I am asking you, God, that you would reach down and intervene. That you would touch them. Because in touching them... I'm providing the opportunity for you to touch me. Come on, I acknowledge this isn't easy. I acknowledge this isn't what our flesh wants to hear. I acknowledge this is not what our carnal man wants to hear as a solution. But I believe in the Holy Ghost tonight. God's talking to us. I believe the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to us tonight. And there are some things that God wants to turn around in some lives in this place. There are some circumstances and situations that God is ready to turn your captivity. But the turning of your captivity, it's all in your hands right now. Or somebody that can say, as Joseph said, 
God, I release to you tonight what somebody did to me for evil. I release to you tonight what somebody meant for evil. And that ultimately you mean it for good. And even if I'm still in it, God, that when it's over with, you've promised that it will all work together for my good. Anybody tonight can pray a prayer like Jesus prayed. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. It hurts. It's painful. It's dug deep in my heart, my spirit. But Father, forgive them. They don't know what they did. Can anybody pray a prayer like Stephen tonight? God, don't hold this sin against them. Don't lay this against their charge. Anybody pray a prayer tonight like Moses prayed for somebody that perhaps has risen up against you rather than stepping back and letting God have vengeance that He said He was going to take. Instead, you step in and say, God, have mercy. God, I know you said judgment, but I'm asking you for mercy. In the name of Jesus. Come on, folks, just another moment or two. I... I'm telling you, I believe with all of my heart that God is trying to do something in us right now as a body that is going to propel us into some things. I believe God's trying to do something in us right now on Thursday nights that is going to open up some floodgates of heaven. It's going to release God to do some things that He said He was going to do. I've said it again. I know we fight the devil. I know we are involved in spiritual warfare. And I know we will be. But I also believe right now there are some roots that God is trying to get us to deal with. That it's not the devil that is the resistance right now. It's not the devil that stops some things right now, but it is our willingness to release some things, to let go of some things so that God can then open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I beg you right now, don't, don't, don't write anything off that you're dealing with as in, in, insignificant and well, that, that's too small to be an issue. That's too small to be a problem. But I beg you tonight, if there's anything, if there's any situation, any circumstance that God allows to come to your mind, whether it seems small or not, God, I'm not going. I don't want anything in me, God, that the prince of this world can have access to. I don't want there to be anything in me, God, that He can show up and lay hold to. I don't want there to be any bitterness. I don't want there to be any hatred. I don't want there to be any unforgiveness that gives Him access to my mind, to my life. I want to keep my mind stayed. I want to lean on You, God. I want to lean on You. I want to lean on You. In the midst of all kinds of thoughts that are bombarding my mind, I want to lean on you, God, because you said if I would lean on you, you, I wouldn't have to do it, God. You would keep my mind in perfect peace. Anybody tired tonight of trying to have to ward off the thoughts and the accusations? Why don't you just start leaning? Why don't you work on keeping your mind stayed? And if you'll keep your mind stayed on Him, He 
will take the responsibility of guarding your mind. In the name of Jesus. Father, I pray tonight. I believe, Lord, that over the last couple of weeks you have been and you are doing a work in us. God, I don't think for most of us it's something that is to be settled in just a moment or two of a prayer right now, but it is a process that you are causing us to be a part of. So I pray again tonight, Lord, in closing, that you would cause the seed of your word to find good ground. God, I rebuke the devourer who would try to steal the seed because the devourer knows if the seed can get in the ground and produce, then it will cause him to lose his effectiveness in our lives. So I pray that the seed of your word would find good ground. I pray, God, tonight for my brothers and sisters that some here tonight, God, due to the depth of the hurt, of the mistreatment, of the betrayal that they've experienced, it's a struggle that just in a moment to let something go, there's a hunger and a desire to do it. So I'm asking you by your grace that you would help us I pray, God, that over the next couple of days, you would help us to find that place where we can do as Job did, and rather than, at the very least, just hold our tongues against our enemies, we can begin to pray. Those even, God, that are close to us, that are the ones that have hurt us the most, that You very well may be putting their deliverance in our hands. Give us the grace to release them, God, so that we may also be released. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Praise God. I realize that the last couple of weeks, obviously I haven't been using slides. Um, some of you oftentimes request them. The same goes for the notes from the last couple of weeks. If you want those, even though they're not slides, you're welcome to have them. Happy to share with you. I'm going to say it again as I quit. I, I, I really believe that what God is trying to do in us right now on Thursday nights, if we can truly allow it, it is going to open, allow God to release some things that we've been praying and believing for. So I'm asking, encouraging, challenging you. Again, I realize I just prayed it. But for most of us, this isn't something that we do in just five seconds right now. Some of you are dealing with deep stuff. 
And I'm going to say it again. I've said it two weeks ago. I said it tonight. There, the, the point of these three nights so far of teaching, nobody, I'm not here telling you, suck it up. Nobody did you wrong. Get off. That's, that's not what I, if that's what you've heard, you're listening to the devil. Because <laughs> I've, I've read several things to you and have emphasized them where it was clear that God ultimately was saying, yes, it was wrong. You were done wrong. It wasn't right. You were mistreated. That, that's, so please, it, this isn't about you getting to the point where, oh no, it's all good. No, it's not all good. Nobody should have treated you that way. They shouldn't have done that to you. Shouldn't have said that to you. You're right. They shouldn't have. But at the same time, I don't want to keep living in captivity. I'm ready for some freedom. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday. In Jesus' name.